0: Okay, now these are points I've made before, but they bear repeating. The battle is not between scripture and science. That's a false argument put forth by the evolutionists to get us off on the wrong path. It is a battle between two belief systems, one based on man's ever-changing opinion, that's evolution, because as we get more information, more actual data, they have to keep changing their story to adapt to the actual evidence. The other is based on man, uh, God's unchanging word. Which presuppositions are used to interpret evidence? So there are presuppositions. Everybody has presuppositions. The, The evolutionist says to me, you have a presupposition. I say, yes, I do. I presuppose that God's word is true and reliable and is understandable as he meant it to be. That's my presupposition, all right? Their presuppositions, no God, no guide, no plan, no purpose. One o'clock. One o'clock. Okay, one o'clock's when the third session starts. All right, so which presuppositions are used to interpret the evidence uh, is important because, as I showed you that one slide where the two different lenses looking at the same evidence, your different presupposition determines in how you look at the evidence. And this example of this business of this gap theory someone presupposes that the evolutionary time frame is true and then tries to twist scripture to make it fit so which model best fits the evidence is uh, what we're going to look at in terms of dinosaurs but in throughout it's always real science always ends up confirming scripture because the author of the word is the author of the world he's one and the same and he does not contradict himself Science properly interpreted actually does confirm scripture. So, Houston, we have a problem. It's time we face reality, my friends. We're not exactly rocket scientists here. (laughs) Okay, well, church, we have a problem. It's time we face reality, my friends. We're not exactly scripture scientists in regard to dinosaurs. So the word dinosaur was coined in 1841 by Sir Richard Owen, a Bible-believing scientist. Dino from the root meaning Tremendous power, the same root as from dunamus uh, that the word dynamite comes from. Okay, tremendous power. And then and the, the literal meaning is terrible. Terrible meaning overwhelming. Terrible as in so impressive. And then sour means lizard. So terrible lizard. Overwhelming lizard. Okay, so here's the outline formed, fallen, flooded, faded, and found. So they were formed on day six. And you can say, how do you know that? Well, it's because scripture tells us that all land animals were formed on day six, dinosaurs being land animals, therefore were formed on day six, 4004 BC. So day one, Earth, space, the beginning of Earth, space, time and light, energy, matter, The expanse between the waters, as we talked about in the previous talk. Day three, dry land and plants, separation of the waters from the land. Day four, sun, moon, and stars. And then five, the creatures of the sea and the uh, air. And then day six, the land animals and man. So there's this concept of biblical kind. It's not the same as species. Biblical kind so there's like the cat kind the dog kind the bear kind the horse kind the cow kind the people kind etc so God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind cattle according to its kind everything according to its kind so when he repeats things you know it's important he really wants you to grasp this so we're talking about the various kinds So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female created he them, so the people kind. Then we have these terrible teeth of T-Rex. So people say, well, these teeth are so ferocious, they have to be for tearing meat across. Well, we'll see, because in the next verse, also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth, which there's life I have given every green herb for food and in, in 129 God says the same thing to Adam and Eve I have given you every green thing for food so here we have the early vegetarians returning from the kill all right and we have Adam playing basketball with T-rex with those terrible teeth they're made for slashing melons for example all right Everybody's a vegetarian. See what? That's one variety. So Job 40. Now look now at Behemoth, which I made along with you. He eats grass like an ox. See now, his strength is in his hips. So he's a vegetarian or a vegan, okay? And his power is in his stomach muscles. So we'll, we'll be looking at this here in a second. So someone asked the question, how do you fit dinosaurs into the Bible? Well, the real question is, what does the Bible say about dinosaurs? In other words, don't try and cram something in, read in scripture what it says. And so we have the unfortunate instance here of these footnotes written by man, fallen man, who are adding things that are not inspired by the Holy Spirit. So regarding behemoth, the hippopotamus or the elephant. Well, no, those are terrible footnotes that should be stricken out. So you have to start with scripture, not try to put into scripture what you want to add into it. So this is the basis. So back to this quote here, and his power is in his stomach muscles. Power in his stomach muscles. We're gonna have a pop quiz here. Which has the biggest belly? The uh, ballerino, I guess you say, or the sumo wrestler guy. Well, how about the elephant, as the footnote referred to? So does elephant have the biggest belly, the strongest belly? Does the hippo, as the footnote also says, maybe it's a hippo, maybe it's an elephant? Or how about behemoth, an apatosaurus-type dinosaur? This would be the winner. All right. Also in Job, he moves his tail like a cedar sinews, meaning the ligaments, tightly knit, bones like beams of bronze, ribs like bars of iron. OK, so we, so we have a cedar like tail. So here are cedar trees in Lebanon. So you see the one story building, stone building there for scale. These are monstrous, huge trees. So a tail like a cedar, okay. hmm. not quite, not quite. Uh, also not quite, now that's the cedar tree. Okay. So when you compromise scripture with these footnotes, that's what you get. Okay. All right. So those footnotes are not inspired by the Holy Spirit now here's an honest evolutionary artist he's trying to show the business of evolution from one thing into the next but he's being honest because he doesn't show all those lines solidly in yellow he's showing the gray parts that are they wish they had the evidence for but don't so what you really see are all these different kinds these biblical kinds of dinosaurs that are separate, distinct, and not linked to each other by evolution. So the question is, where did dinosaurs come from? Because they don't even know what they evolved from. Okay, so here's a quote. The demise of T. rex and most other dinosaurs some 65 million years ago may grab all the headlines. But paleontologists are equally concerned with puzzling out how these mighty beasts got their start. Who were their ancestors? They're clueless. A new fossil find in Brazil rewrites the history. Everything is always being rewritten all the time as they find something new. The history of dinosaurs. Now the focus has shifted from how they died out to where they came from in the first place, because they still don't know how they died out. All right. So fallen. So here you see the forbidden fruit. We, do, we don't know that it's an apple. It's just the forbidden fruit. Scripture doesn't specify which fruit. Now, maybe it's the apple that's been chosen because it's red and attractive and catches your attention. You know, red catches our attention. But in the Russian language, the word for red and the word for beautiful have the same root. So, who knows? Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it says was, but that is true today. And so it's also is. As we see what's going on. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made him. Can you imagine how deep that sorrow must have been on God's part? I don't think we can. So, truth be told, Jeremy, I'm crying on the inside. Oh, get over yourself. That's the people you're digesting. <laughs> okay, flood. So, the flood was 1,656 years after creation. Okay, we know that from the chronogenealogies. Genesis 619, and of every living thing of all the flesh, you shall bring two of every sort, two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Next verse, birds after their kind, animals after their kind, creeping thing after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. So Noah didn't have to go out and gather them up. God sent them to Noah. And I say that's because God knew which ones had the right genes to have the genetic material needed for speciation after the flood. Okay, but look at this repetition of kind, 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 kind. God wants us to understand this concept of biblical kind. Listen up, we'll do this in alphabetical order. You see, the zebras say nuts. All right. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth and all the high hills were, uh, under the whole heaven were covered. So that is pretty clear that the entire earth was flooded globally, not some local flood as evolutionists and compromised Christians would like to claim that was just a local flood. So did all of the dinosaurs die in the flood? Okay, you guys are shaking your head no, and that is correct because two of every kind were put on the ark. So how is it possible to fit all of the dinosaurs to Noah's Ark as this evolutionist is saying, dinosaurs in Noah's Ark impossible, because he's picturing the great granddaddies who are very large. Ha, 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 ha. Well, here's the deal. There's three factors. First factor, reptiles grow until they die. Mammals don't, birds don't, reptiles do. Now, the rate of growth after that middle spurt there is slow, but it's still some degree of growth. So the young ones were put on the arc, young ones. So you see there at the bottom, that the difference there in size between age four, five six is not very great. but after age six that growth really takes off. So being put on the ark at a young age but still old enough that when they got off they could reproduce. So he sent young dinosaurs so. Not the huge great granddaddies, but the young ones, small ones. Second factor, this concept of biblical kinds. So the question is, how many kinds of dinosaurs were there on the ark? Well, let me draw an analogy here. How many cats on the ark? Well, we have 36 species today in the cat kind. And in that one species, the domestic cat, there are 73 breeds. But how many cats needed to be on the ark? The answer is two, two of each kind. So two cats with the full range of genes were needed on the ark. So the dogs are saying, check their papers. They must be forged. They'll scratch all the furniture and spread ringworm. All right, but you only needed two. Well, for example, in the Ceratopsia kind of dinosaur, you see here what, 11 different so called species. But when you're out there and you're a professional or any kind of paleontologist and you don't want to go out and find the fifty-fifth example of the same old thing, right? You want to find something new that you can be a discoverer and get fame and fortune. So when these guys are digging up these fossils, they look for differences to say, aha, here's the new species. Well, that was overdone. So for example here, Torosaurus turns out to be a teenage triceratops. Same species just difference due to growth not being finished yet. So it's just the same thing. If you take x-rays of the skeleton of a, of a human baby, a teenager, an adult, they're gonna to look totally different, right? So the number of so-called species has been grossly blow, overblown, but there are only so many kinds, and it's felt that this probably falls into 30 or so kinds of dinosaurs. So maybe at the max, 50 kinds, at the very max. So that means only somewhere between 60 to 100 dinosaurs need to be on the ark. Not all the species, just each kind. Third factor, how big was the ark? Well, it wasn't these little cute little tugboat things that are in the nurseries in a lot of churches. Everybody's smiling and happy and crowded beyond belief. So, a big wave comes along, and now they don't look so happy. <laughs> right? So, that's not what the ark looked like. Okay, this is one uh, shipbuilding engineer's concept of the ark. Now, we don't know if it had a square end or not, whether there was a prow like that very good chance there was a prowl like that to keep it so that it would be able to deal with the waves and be able to maintain being at 90 degrees to the waves and also with that fin on the back end for the wind to help keep it pointed right into the waves so that it wouldn't be hit from the side so much. But it may have been square like this. We don't really know. But we do know the overall length is given to us in cubits And a cubit is the distance from the bend in the elbow to the tip of the long finger. That's a a cubit. And the average would be about 18 inches. Now, it may have been a royal cubit and been actually a little bit over 500 feet long. We don't really know. It didn't specify, it just says cubit. So this would be the minimum distance, the minimum length, width, and height for the arc. Now notice that the length to width ratio is six to one. Well, shipbuilders have uh, come to the conclusion that's the ideal ratio of length to width for stability to, to be able to be stable in rough waters. Maybe God knew what he was doing, right? When he told Noah to build with these dimensions. So here's comparison of those dimensions to a 747 or an adult elephant or giraffe, or even these dinosaurs. So you see, the thing was huge, very large. Well, the volume of the ark is equivalent to 522 stock cars. And if you have 240 sheep per car, that means the capacity of the ark would be over 125,000 critters. Well, it's estimated by creationists that the number of kinds on the ark, which would be reptiles, birds, and mammals, you don't put fish on the ark, and then you don't need amphibians on the ark because they, in their amphibian stage, can survive in water. So if there are even as many as 10,000 kinds, that's 20,000 animals, and that's less than a sixth of the capacity, leaving space for storage of food and for more people than the eight who actually got on, because you know God wanted more people to get on, but they wouldn't. So there was plenty of space. Now, why sheep? Because it's been calculated that the average size of the animals on the ark was that of a sheep, including the dinosaurs and the big things like cows and horses because there were plenty of animals that are much smaller. Some of the dinosaurs are only the size of a chicken. So we only think of the real big ones, but there were plenty of dinosaurs that were much smaller, different kinds. So the size of the ark is not an issue, plenty large. So what happened? So here is a father and son both observing various numbers of kinds of dinosaurs. And then the son grows up. He's got the brown hair with his son, with the yellow hair, observing fewer kinds. And then he grows up and with son, just a couple kinds. Then he grows up and tells his son, who looks like Spock, to about his memory of what he saw. And then Spock tells his son what his dad told what grandpa told him, told the son with the orange shirt, and then now we have dragon legends from dinosaurs. Evolutionary ideas on dinosaur extinction. Okay, these were serious ideas put forth. Even though I'm using cartoons to illustrate them, they were put forth in a serious fashion. So you have these various things. Meteors or asteroids uh, poisoning by benzene in the water. Early mammals eating the dinosaur eggs or uh, carnivorous dinosaurs eating the eggs of the herbivorous dinosaurs. Uh, not enough uh, nerve tissue getting too cold. And then here's a <laughs> uh, what would be considered politically incorrect. Uh, Reference to what happened in Texas in 1963. We could do without that. Yeah. Okay. A new study shows that dinosaurs and other continental vertebrates remained diverse in Europe. Until the asteroid impacts 66 million years ago. So they write this as if this is observed history. Observed history. But it's not. This is assumption. Nobody was there, according to them, to witness this. This is strong evidence that dinosaurs and many of their contemporaries went extinct rapidly and simultaneously all across the globe. Well, that last sentence is true. But the time frame is wrong and they have the wrong cause. Tremendous amounts of soot lofted into the air from global wildfires following a massive asteroid strike. 66 million years ago, it would have plunged Earth into darkness for nearly two years, new research finds. Well, you know, the nice thing with computers is you can make them to say whatever you want them to, depending upon how you program them. This would have shut down photosynthesis, drastically cooled the planet, and contributed to the mass extinction that marked the end of the age of dinosaurs. So my question is, okay, so why didn't everybody else also become extinct and we have nothing, if there's no photosynthesis for two years? I asked that question of one of the young guys in one of these museums, and he said, well, that's because the small mammals went underground. That didn't really answer the question. <laughs> okay, so this is where that quote came from. So that's just from a couple of years ago. So they believe in catastrophe. A new look at conditions after a Manhattan-sized asteroid slammed into a region of Mexico. And the Dinosaur Days indicates the event would, could have triggered a global firestorm, burned every twig, bush on Earth, and led to the extinction of 80% of all species. Again, why isn't it 100% if every twig, bush, and tree got burned? You know, these guys just don't think this through. So here we have dust blocking the sun, or soot from a firestorm, you know, with blocking the sun. So this is the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico, where there is a huge crater. Now, there is controversy about the origin of the crater. Was it an asteroid, or was it something that happened in the crust bubbling up, causing a crater? That's an alternative thought here. Okay, Firestorm. Well, Firestorm is also the mascot for Arizona Christian University, so I just throw that in there. Soot could actually block almost all light from reaching the surface for at least a year. All right, this shows layers uh, in the rock, and there's a layer of iridium, uh, metal, heavy metal. And it is said that when a volcano erupts, a layer of iridium ends up settling down from the ash, from the stuff that erupted out of the volcano. Well, yes, that happens. But it's also said that these meteorite or asteroid that struck, for example, down there in Mexico, it's called Chicxulub, also was the cause of this iridium layer. And that that eruption, as you saw in those slides, is responsible for the extinction of dinosaurs and other species. And so therefore there ought to be a difference in what fossils you find above that iridium later and the fossils you find below the iridium later since 80% or more of them became extinct at that time. Well, it turns out, and this was by an honest evolutionist, that the same species were found above and below the iridium later, so that kind of kills that. Researchers believe they have closed the case of what killed the dinosaurs, definitively linking the extinction with an asteroid, blah, blah, blah. Puts any to bed, any doubts that the iridium anomaly is not related to the Chicxulub crater. The guys write these things as if they really know what's going on. Evidence that mercury from volcanoes contributed to the mass extinction. Ah, researchers suggest that release of mercury from volcanic eruptions played a role in four of the five mass extinctions, mercury being toxic and killing them off. Well, here's another quote. While it's been generally accepted that the asteroid caused a massive disruption in the planet's climate, a new study says the asteroid also caused a worldwide tsunami that reached more than 5,000 feet in the air. So you have a mile-high wave of water responsible for this extinction. Well, they're getting closer to the truth. Okay, but instead of being caused by an asteroid, how about just plain old Noah's Flood? Well, here's another view. New indications of gradual decline of dinosaurs, not this instantaneous extinction fossil analysis also showed that the decline of the dinosaurs occurred gradually probably only a few species surviving until the end of the cretaceous period extinction of the dinosaurs is therefore not as secular science frequently assumes due to the impact of the Chicxulub asteroid that struck earth more than 65 million years ago and this is from a secular writer a secular source so they can't agree among themselves. Well, that's why, Well, it's, I mean, that's understandable because when you're not dealing with what's true, then everything else is wrong. And they're all in conflict with each other. So I'm a physician and as a physician, I say this is what caused the dinosaur extinction. Okay, let's take a look at the biblical creation model. So this is depicting the pre-flood world at the bottom with the subtropical climate over all the earth. We have pretty good reason to think that because in scripture, uh, Adam and Eve are given the command to be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth before the fall, in other words, before clothing. And so that implies that the whole planet was comfortable without clothing. No high mountains, no clo- cold regions, no polar uh, frozen zones, everything comfortable. So there's that, and then you see the blue representing the water of the flood, and these yellow arrows showing the animals surviving the flood on the ark. And then you see the bars showing extinction at various times after the flood. When the animals got off the ark, multiplied and survived for a while, and they became extinct at various times after the flood. So with the different climate conditions, and this was real climate change because of the flood, then the developed, the polar cold regions, um, horrendous storms, uh, huge hurricanes. Uh, they uh, calculate 100 times greater than the hurricanes we see today because there was nothing to impede them, no land for them to be slowed down by. Uh, another region, reason for extinction afterward would be carnivory Uh, with animals eating each other and people in chapter nine, verse three of Genesis being given permission now to eat meat. Remember we said that started out as vegetarians. So now given permission by God to eat meat. So now carnivory says caution, student carnivore. And then hunting, whether it be for, for, for food or just simply protection against these beasts that could come in and destroy a village possibly. So that's St. George and the Dragon, not fiction, a true historical figure. All right. So when will the barbecued meat be done? Uh, Sometime next week. So there it is. There's the permission to be able to eat every moving thing that lives. All right, found. Well, found in Scripture is in chapter 40 of Job. And we mentioned already some aspects of this. But here in Job 41, a marine critter, flame goes out of his mouth. Well, that would be maybe the source of the fire-breathing dragon. It's a pretty fierce-looking critter, isn't it? Well, here is showing uh, various critters in size uh, from the fossils, uh, marine-type critters, uh, compared to the size of a man. So some of these were pretty large, and some of them are much, much larger than these. But back to the fire-breathing part, is we have a beetle alive today that puts out a mixture at 212 degrees, Fahrenheit or 100 degrees centigrade that is very toxic and noxious to those things that would want to eat it, such as frogs. It's called the bombardier beetle, and it has these various uh, chambers in it that make these chemicals, hydroquinone, hydrogen peroxide, and when they come together in the combustion chamber, it creates uh, so much energy is released that it's boiling hot, and it has a jet nozzle that's uh, very, movable and they can spray in any direction, uh, including underneath to spray in front of it, curve it down, to attack whatever is, uh, protect against whatever's trying to attack and eat it. So this shows how there could have been something like this in this fire-breathing dragon. So therefore we have, oh, oh, quick Phyllis, get the hot pads. Okay, there's the Crusader in his metal protection. Found in the dictionary, your retardation is disadvantageous. I propound you all vamoose with great importunity. And so the person says, oh, no, dang, it's a thesaurus. (laughs) Found in quarries. So this is in the northeastern corner of Utah. This is Dinosaur National Monument. So the side of the mountain against which this uh, structure is built uh, is a depository of all sorts of dinosaurs and other species from which zillions of fossil specimens have been taken. And so then it became a national monument. And so you can go there and observe these guys uh, working on these. Uh, It's amazing, It's, it's just full of, these fossil remains found in museums. So what you see in the museums are not actually the the original fossils, but they're copies because the things are so brittle uh, that they make copies and then out of stronger materials and then put these on display. Now here's a, a Spinosaurus aegypticus. See how large this thing is? Those two guys standing there. Then we have the uh, Creation Museum in Kentucky. with This is actually in from that museum. And you see here uh, one critter, and then they have another one that is one of these audio animatronic things that moves around and make noise with the prey there at the bottom. Well, they're also found in art. And there are all sorts of examples where people had observed these things and then in some form of art, uh, recorded what they observed. Um, so, this one was found in South Dakota, and here's the influence of uh, um, Hogwarts. What's that? Uh? Harry Potter. Yeah, Harry Potter. Thanks. I've managed to never see it. Uh, in the Natural Bridges State Park up in Utah, these petroglyphs, so, this is where. The uh, local folks uh, recorded what they saw on the rock and so make it easier to see here it is in its original site and then blow it up and then there's the outline. So then you can look and see where you see the original out, not outlined up above. So they drew these things, they observed these things, and in a cave this a winged critter And then here in Grand Canyon in Havasupai Canyon, you see Edmontosaurus, like so. So these things have been observed by people and recorded. Down in Mexico, uh, the white uh, outline there of a hadrosaur. So there's the comparison there of a hadrosaur, or a hippocosaurus. Dinonychus on the Mexican pottery. In Peru, Protoceratops. And then down in uh, the uh, Peruvian coast, uh, along the Pacific Ocean, the uh, uh, Mochi Indian tribe, And these date from the time of Christ to 1000 AD. In England, uh, this one, Carnotaurus astrae, in the 1470s, whoa, 1470s. And here in Carlisle, England, in the floor is the tomb of Bishop Bell, and in the brass uh, frame around 1496, you see these carvings of these sauropods. Hmm. Wales, the flag, this uh, winged dinosaur. Netherlands. And in France, these three dimensional uh, depictions. On the stairwell, Platyosaurus, Spain, Germany. Look at these dates. These guys were seeing stuff. Italy. Okay, not the state of Georgia, but the country of Georgia, (laughs) between Russia and Armenia. How about Roman mosaics? Egypt. Okay, so we're not talking just Europe or South America, Cambodia. There's three-dimensional relief here. In China, protoceratops again. So what do you think? 6,000.
1: 6,000. And at the flood, you only get two.
0: Of each kind. Of each kind.
1: kind. And And they're, they're found all throughout the grove and only survive for a short period of time. How did it, in, I hate to use the word,
0: in evolutionary terms, how does that fit? It doesn't. doesn't fit evolution at all. That's the point. Not enough time for evolution to happen. Evolution never happened.
1: How do you account for the spread?
0: They were told to multiply and fill the earth and they obeyed faster than man did. Man didn't obey right away. <laughs> man had to be judged at Babel and have the languages confused and be forced to spread out. And it didn't take all that long. See, you've been indoctrinated with too much evolutionary thinking and time frame.
1: Well, I've had to argue it with other people, and then I don't have an answer.
0: These folks had to be post-flood eyewitnesses. Didn't they write about it? Write about it.
1: Yes.
0: Well, uh, you mean like this? Okay. Alexander the Great, soldiers scared by great dragons. So, in historical accounts, it's written down about these encounters. Saint George, historical figure. Beowulf, another historical figure. I never saw the movie, I don't know how they treated it, but he was killed fighting a winged dragon in 583 A.D. at the age of 88. Wow, to be 88 at that time? He must have been a robust fellow. Irish writer in 900 A.D. records something that sounds like a stegosaur. The Chinese with uh, dragons to pull chariots in parades. Now, this is modern. I just threw this in. These ice sculptures in China, couldn't resist these. Dinosaurs are fascinating to all people everywhere. Well, here in England, there are coins commemorating these various finds of dinosaurs. Now, these are from the fossils, not witness, eyewitnesses of living ones. Oh, not a fossil. <laughs> oh, well, well, she's laid to rest now.
1: I thought she was a lizard.
0: <laughs> All right. So here we have a T-Rex like going into the cave. Ooh! oh, Ooh! And it spits them out. Choo, choo, choo. Why? <laughs> found under the ocean in the seabed off the coast of Norway. So, this is what they found this sore bone. So, this is one of the pieces of evidence for the Breakup of the one continent before the flood till afterwards. The argument is not that it happened, but when. Evolutionists say, you know, zillions of years ago, uh, where we uh, look at it as part of the flood process. Found in rock layers all over the world, including there. So here in uh, the eastern part of Montana, almost into North Dakota, town of Glendive, there's a nice creationist uh, dinosaur museum there, because that is the major, major deposit of dinosaur and other fossils in the Hell Creek Formation. So there we are, trudging along, carrying water, uh, along with plaster to make the casts to protect the specimen. And so the owner of the ranch took us to this location. We didn't have to go find it. And that is a horn from a triceratops that had been exposed by erosion. And the tip of the horn was already gone. So there I've got it partially excavated. And then I'm working on this round thing, which is a condyle. There it is. And that's the top of the spine there, with the spine coming from the top right part of the slide. And so there is the head and the skull and the shield. And so that's where that round part, the condyle is located, and then you see the horn then coming up from that. So you have condyles in your shoulders and hips. We call it ball and socket like this. So here's the top of our spine. It's very different than what the triceratops has. So that's how we are able to turn our head and rotate instead of the ball and socket. So then putting the plaster on it to protect it. And then uh, Mark Armitage took the specimen to the lab and was able to dissolve out the minerals. And left behind were these flexible sheets of bone cells, intact bone cells that he's looking at under the microscope. Soft tissue still existing. Well, that's not the first soft tissue find. Other finds by other investigators in this uh, T. rex uh, femur, thigh bone, intact blood vessels with intact red blood cells inside, stretchy blood vessels, soft tissue. And others. many other specimens have been found as well. But yet, here's the problem. How can these soft tissues have lasted for these millions of years, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of years? The answer is they can't. They can't. So the evolutionists are stuck with a big problem trying to figure out how these things could last for so long. And they don't have a good answer. Duck-billed dinosaur, soft tissue. Okay, bone cells from the triceratops horn. Fine detail, amazing stuff. Soft tissue from an ichthyosaur that was found within these fossil specimens. So that helps make it a little more visible as to what's there. says, the fossil isn't just a mineral replica of the original claw. It's likely two thirds dinosaur residue. I'll bet this specimen is maybe 70% organic material. In other words, not turned into rock by volume, more than we'd think. It's the first discovery of a fragment of a still soft and flexible nerve. Whoa, flexible nerve. Can't be millions of years old. Well, what about carbon 14? Okay, here's this part, I'll blow it up, which translates to an apparent age of 22,000 years. Now, this is still outside the biblical time frame, but 22,000 is a lot closer than 65 million. And also, this uses assumptions that we're going to talk about in the next presentation. Uh, about carbon dating. All right, so different specimens still have carbon 14. They ought not to have carbon 14. Here's a whole list of specimens that have carbon 14. You never hear about this because this destroys the evolutionary time frame, it absolutely <coughs> wipes it out. Look at all these, 20, 30,000 years. Again, we'll explain how it's actually less than that, but certainly not tens or hundreds of millions of years. How about mummified, totally soft tissue that dried out as a mummy? One found in an electrical storage room. Nobody had opened up for a while. That should blow your mind. DNA. All right, so experiments have shown. Now, obviously, they didn't watch it for 521 years, but being able to use heat to speed up the reaction and use mathematical formulas, they can uh, account to do things over long periods of time that uh, can be observed in a short period of time. And so this shows that 3600 years, only that amount of DNA is left from the original amount. Well, that fits perfectly well with the biblical time frame since the flood. So that's why we can find dinosaur tissue with DNA with fragments that are still there. But this also shows how this cannot have been millions of years. It's simply impossible to have DNA from millions of years ago. How can DNA remain so long without decaying? We do not know the mechanism behind the apparent relative slowdown of DNA degradation. Fancy way of saying, just, we don't know. Here's a good one of Jason playing his Tinkertor set. That was the day he tried to make dinosaurs. That's supposed to be a dinosaur? No, it's a model of the DNA he was attempting to clone. (laughs) Found with proteins. Okay, again, supposedly 80 million years old. Well, proteins are made up of strings of amino acids that have to fold a certain way depending upon what's in the string and how it's strung together. And these are the bonds that hold the amino acids together. Okay, so that's how it's made. Water is taken out from the two amino acids, and they're put together like so. So this bond, this kind of bond that holds the proteins together. Has been shown using heat and using the magic formula—not magic, but formula—the Arrhenius equation <coughs> shows that the half-life for amino acid bonds, peptide bonds in proteins, is even shorter than for DNA. Okay, so this very well fits in the flood time frame. Yet we're still finding remnants of proteins in these Specimens that have not been turned into totally into rock. Okay, supposedly 200 million years old, but it can be. It can only be a few thousand years old. So that's what they're talking about there. That's the femur, where the femur is, the thigh bone. Okay, how about eggshell? Actual eggshell, not turned into rock. Okay, that tells you how thin it is. How can this stuff last for millions of years? It cannot. Okay, so here's the article proteins, chromosomes, even chromosomes. Exceptionally preserved dinosaur cartilage. So here are pictures showing cartilage, showing these cells. Markers of DNA. So how you interpret this stuff, again, depends upon your initial assumption. Is the biblical history true or not? The identification of chemical markers of DNA in this uh, hypocrosis suggests it may preserve much longer than originally proposed. Additionally, as was suggested for protein fossilization, cross-linking may be another mechanism involved in the preservation of DNA in deep time. So they're grasping at straws, trying to come up with some kind of explanation to be able to have these millions and billions of years. But when you look at the fossil record, it's a record of death, disease, struggle, pain, suffering. So it's death before man finally evolves onto the seed, according to evolution. Death before man finally evolves. But scripture is very clear. The wages of sin is death. Death can only be after mankind as a result of disobedience in the garden. So it's death as the result of man's actions. So you have this Distinction here, it cannot be death before man because scripture is saying death is after man. And yet the fossil record is a record of nothing but death. Millions of years old and they look as if they were laid yesterday as mom approaches. So the problem is the presupposition of millions and billions of years. Well, we have presumed evolutionary time frame, presumption, assumption. So, evolutionists told us that this coelacanth evolved 400 million years ago and became extinct around 65 million years ago. Except, oops, they're alive and well and swimming in the Indian Ocean and they didn't walk out. Those very thick fins that they have, lobe fins, they didn't walk on those They and then walk onto land and become an amphibian. They swim like any other fish. They don't walk on the bottom of the ocean. Calls the, they call these Lazarus taxon, taxon meaning the rank of uh, naming things, you know, genus, species, all that stuff, taxons. Well, they use the biblical term Lazarus because it's come back to life after being extinct after 65 million years. Okay, so it's funny how they use biblical terminology. Okay, here's another example. Okay, we're told this is extinct many millions of years ago, except it only became dead in the flood, roughly that number of years ago, except it's quite well and alive. It was found 100 miles from Sydney in the National Park in the Deep Canyon, Wallamai Pine. Well, some enterprising people managed to get their hands on some cuttings of these. And now you can have your own dinosaur tree. And down in uh, Superior, in Arizona, Town Superior, is the Boyce Thompson Arboretum. It's a marvelous place, fantastic, world-class facility. started as a private arboretum uh, by Boyce Thompson, and then it turned it over to the University of Arizona, so they run it now. And they have acquired a couple of these uh, Wallamite Pines there. It's a great place to go. Marvelous uh, array. It's a, I don't know how many acres, it's, it's pretty extensive. Hello, everybody, we're back too. Hello, hello, all right. So there's Lazarus taxons. Well, here we see uh, island of uh, Papua New Guinea. And there's this marshy area there in the eastern part of the island where there have been sightings of critters that the local people there described that fit the description of dinosaurs. But no one's been able yet to document them with photographs. So that's, there's an effort to do that going on. That would be great if they could do that. So that's in Creation Matters issue from 2015. And also there's this winged critter that's been sighted that seems to have a cloaking device So that it will be even tougher to document, but there are folks who are trying to. And then here in the depths of uh, the jungles of Africa, the locals there have also described critters that fit the description of a dinosaur. So it's no problem with the biblical worldview regarding dinosaurs or dinosaur fish or dinosaur trees But these are major problems for the evolutionary model. So scripture accounts for dinosaurs' origin. They fit on the ark due to small size, only so many kinds and the large capacity of the ark. The flood of Noah accounts for the fossils. People have recorded seeing dinosaurs in art, the post-flood people. Dragon legends are remnants of history. And dinosaur soft tissue, intact red blood cells, carbon-14 in dinosaurs, dinosaur DNA, dinosaur protein, all this stuff has been documented. So these things limit their existence to only a few thousand years. So I put this in the form uh, color of a rainbow because we have this guy saying, I survived the flood. So dinosaurs are missionary lizards. Michael, just sit down, eat your cereal, look for that thing later, and ask your questions now. Because it says, not Wheaties, but meaties, free kid inside. I'll take questions. Yeah.
1: Oh, Before the flood, uh, it was all one continent. Yes.
0: And then it broke up after? During the flood. During the flood. uh, Flood was very violent. MANY PEOPLES AROUND THE WORLD HAVE FRAGMENTS OF THE GENESIS TRUTH IN THEIR LEGENDS, BUT NOT THE COMPLETE, FULL, ACCURATE VERSION. SO MANY PEOPLES HAVE FLOOD LEGENDS, BUT NOT THE TOTAL PICTURE. NOW THE INTERESTING ABOUT Ayers ROCK, AS YOU MENTION IT, IS IT IS ACTUALLY AN EXTREMELY wide, I don't know, I don't know the dimensions, but we're talking very big, very big mountain, where the layers are perpendicular. The whole thing got turned on its side by a massive amount of water, relocating it from its original position, flipping it on its side and putting it down. So those layers of rock in that are vertical. They're 90 degrees to what they used to be. And that's, that's part of the flood. Yes. Um, Well, what about insects on the ark? They didn't need to be on the ark because what Scripture says about what was the ark is that which has the breath of life through nostrils. Birds, mammals, reptiles have nostrils. Insects could survive on floating vegetation mats, or there may have been some insects on the animals themselves as well. Yeah. My last question, I guess, would be, I just, 40 days and 40 nights of flood. No, no, no. That's of, of the water coming down. Well, okay, cool. okay, so my, my actual question is, I'm, I'm having trouble accepting or believing
1: that trees and plants, I mean, I, I, I know there are certain plants that will survive underwater and obviously water plants, but take like the redwoods
0: or things like that, how, how could they have returned after being submerged that long? Actually they were submerged much longer, five months. Okay, they were submerged five months so it's worse than you're thinking okay well seed pods for one thing other thing is pieces of vegetation that were floating and then when they uh, as the waters then subsided then could take root again and part of that answer is why were they kept on the ark for 371 days well it's because god kept them on for a sufficient period of time for not only for the surface to dry out, to be able to withstand weight and not be in a mud bog, but also for plants to grow so the animals would have food when they got off the ark. Well, I wondered about that too. I was yeah, assuming that's to why he kept out. them on so much longer. Because I I mean, it seems logical that Noah would have had to have food on the ark to
1: feed the animals during that time. And then I wondered about that. Like when they all
0: went off, what were they eating? Because I assumed the plants were because he sent out the raven first, and then he sent out the dove, and it came back, because the dove is a clean bird. The raven would land on anything dirty. The dove, being a clean bird, wouldn't land on dirty stuff, so it came back. And then the second time he sent the dove out, uh, it brought back an olive the first time, as that's why we use the olive branch as a symbol of peace. And then the second time the dove went out, it stayed, because now there was enough clean growth and. See, all those details give us great information if we dig into it. See, in evolution, everything is making the assumption and then using circular reasoning to interpret the data to fit your assumption. So you have to have a great imagination and use circular reasoning. What's the whole purpose of evolution? to lead people away from God. That's what it's about.
1: Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and that is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com.